Mark, the first chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Every year, most Lutheran pastors I know feel compelled to remind their congregation in the hustle and bustle of December and the Christmas decorations that go up often prematurely in homes and churches, that Advent as a season has a focus, and it's not on Christmas coming, but it's on the second coming. The four Sundays in Advent are meant to prepare us in our hearts and our minds that Jesus is coming back again at the end of the world, and every person, every man, woman, child, should be ready for it. Christmas itself also has its own focus, and that one is an easy one to remember. It is, of course, the incarnation of God in the flesh, the nativity of Jesus Christ when he was born into this world. Well, now today we are beginning our brief but annual celebration of the Epiphany season. It is also its own season in its own right with its own particular focus. Epiphany is a time in which we set aside to look at and remember the light of Jesus Christ as he was made manifest, is made manifest in the world his divinity being revealed for all to see. Now, the lectionary that we usually follow, and there's our, there are several lectionaries, uh, usually have for this Epiphany Sunday, whenever it's observed, the reading for the Magi visiting Jesus in, outside of Bethlehem where they were staying there. And that's, of course, a familiar story. It's immortalized in our, uh, all of our Christmas decorations and the like. Uh, but for... Uh, personal reasons and other things, we're going to do a different lesson this year, as you've already heard. Instead of hearing the Matthew story of the Magi visiting Jesus for Epiphany, we have this lesson about Jesus calling the first disciples from Mark chapter 1. We have this different reading for variety's sake, yes, but also for this reason, this lesson uh, about Jesus calling Andrew, Peter, James, and John also fits very well the spirit of this season of Epiphany, and that is Jesus Christ bringing light into the hearts of men. Now, the evangelist Mark and John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, have the absolute same sense of urgency. And they are both people who are right to the point type of guys. They are quick to get to where they are going, and that is people ought to be prepared. It's just sort of the thing that they emphasize time and time again. Mark himself does it in the writing of his gospel. You've read the 16 chapters of Mark. You've heard them read and preached on. He doesn't start with a nativity, but just dives right in with Jesus' baptism and ministry. He jumps over the early life section of the Wikipedia article, as it were. 
And his stories, you might have even noticed this when you've read through Mark, he always uses this, this word, and immediately, and immediately, and quickly, kind of just driving home the point that everything's happening in a rapid way, and trying to hope, I think for him, create a sense of urgency and his hearers. The importance of the time-sensitive nature of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Well, John the Baptist in his ministry, his brief ministry in the wilderness before Jesus came on to the scene, has the same thing. He just gets right to it, jumps right in, repent, repent and believe. Repent and believe is his perennial theme for his preaching. And no sooner is John done, because of his arrest, that Jesus himself comes in and picks up with the same sense of urgency and pressing nature of his message. Repent and believe from the Lord's mouth now. It's a singular message that he has there initially and indeed throughout his ministry and even beyond it. Not because Jesus himself is unoriginal, like he's copying John and just couldn't think of anything else to say. And it's not because he's uninteresting. He just sort of says the same story or joke over and over every time you see him. That's not Jesus, no. Jesus has this repent and believe message because he, like John, like Mark and indeed like all of the other disciples and apostles knows, the repenting and believing, well, that's what truly matters in this world. It matters for people and the moment that they hear the preacher say repent and believe and it matters every moment of their life until their final breath when they go to be with the Lord. Repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of today's gospel lesson, you probably heard those words. That it's a great compliment that's given to Jesus. And it's a description of the reaction the people had to his preaching, his teaching in the synagogue. They were astonished, it says, Mark records, at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as one of the scribes. Now, often kind of breeze past the scribes because we talk more, I think, usually, or at least I do, about the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Well, the scribes, they're a group as well, and they did, at that time, have an important job to do. They were copiers of the scriptures, okay? There's no printing press as we know very well at that time in the world 2,000 years ago. So if another synagogue, another place of worship gets started and you want to have the Old Testament scriptures for you to read, someone's got to copy them by hand. <clears throat> and the people who were the scribes, that was their job. They had to be, well, smart to a certain extent. They certainly had to be literate, understanding letters and so on and so forth. And they had to have a particular attention to detail. If you're going to, you ever copied like a recipe from somebody and you left out a line, like you forgot to put the sugar in and it's cookies? Those cookies are not going to turn out well, okay? Yeah, the scribes had to be literate and have attention to detail. And for that reason, in their job, they knew the scriptures very well. They were familiar with them. They spent so much of their time, indeed their entire professional life in them, and probably to a much greater extent than most other people. But their knowledge of the scriptures, the ones that they knew so well, was not what a living, active, faithful knowledge of the scriptures ought to be. And that's played out very obviously later as you see them come into the story of Jesus' ministry again. No, the scribes' knowledge of the scriptures was a head knowledge, something that they had up here, but I guess you could say not in here. A knowledge that knew jots and tittles, that knew the grammar and the word order, but missed completely and entirely the greater spirit and message of God's holy word. 
Let's try to think of an example for this. This is the best I got, okay? It's kind of like, for those of you who are football fans, uh, you ever like meet that guy where he knows the stats for not just his team, but all the teams and the quarterbacks, and he's really smart up here about football, and he watches a game, and he says, oh, he should have done that differently, whether it's a player or the coach, and he's just that armchair quarterback, that expert, and you know this at the same time, and you kind of want to say it, you've never taken a hit in your life, you've never thrown a ball in your life, you know all this stuff, you think you're an expert, but you really don't know how it actually it is. That's kind of what the scribes were like in Jesus' day. And so, he blows past them. He goes into this synagogue, and he's teaching and preaching, and everyone's compliment, or at least the four new disciples, is he's not like the scribes. He knows this stuff. But Jesus does this, his teaching, not as some sort of flex, a way of showing off for them, but he does this, shows them up in his teaching on the scriptures because he can't help it. He can't help but to be the expert in the Bible that he is. He is himself. Think of this. Jesus Christ is himself the word by whom all things were made, as John 1 and our creeds remind us. He is the light in whom there is no darkness. He's the light which wins over the darkness. So is it any wonder then that this Jesus is a master of the scriptures? Is it a wonder then that he has a great grasp of them and a great understanding of their application to the lives of the people listening to him? Is it any wonder that he teaches as one with true authority, as one who truly knows what they are all about? Of course, God incarnate understands his own word and its place in man's life. The Son of God in human flesh truly gets it. And when he speaks, it's obvious, it's apparent. But the Lord Jesus Christ and his words then and thereafter are more than just an impressive show. He blows past in that synagogue his fledgling opponents, yes, and it's said as much at the end of the gospel, but here's the thing, it has a purpose with it as well. It's not what we today, there's this new term called infotainment. Some of you might have heard that before. It's when you are watching something on TV, listening to a podcast like I do, and maybe it's sort of ostensibly to learn something, but really it's just you're taking in information to kind of have a background noise. Like you're getting info as entertainment. Well, no, that's not what Jesus was doing when he was speaking in the synagogue and thereafter. And he didn't get up to just sort of impress people. Like whenever you see like the really smart people on Jeopardy and you're like, wow, how did he know that? No, that's not what he was doing. Jesus' words were then and were always since, and even now today, for the sake of winning souls for God and his kingdom, of bringing people back to God the Father through his own person and work. And that was the message he proclaimed. I want you to think about this for a second. In the gospel lesson, again, the first four disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, his brother, James, and John, they could have heard Jesus' words and been like, wow, that was really impressive. Wasn't it great the way he showed those guys who kind of pretend to be experts up, but we all know they're just sort of pencil pushers. That was wonderful. And then just sort of themselves, Andrew, Simon, James, and John, turned back and then gone back to fishing after they were really impressed with the message. They could have done that, but they don't. They see Jesus, 
hear his command to follow him, listen to his teaching, and they do that. They follow him and listen to him. They leave their nets. In the case of James and John, leave even their father, and they come and follow Jesus, become the first Christians. And not just so they can have their interest peaked continuously, like have interesting friends like a lot of us try and do, and it's not so that they can just get more tidbits and have a front row seat to more opportunities to see the scribes get egg on their faces. No, they do it because that's what Jesus calls them to do, to follow him and to themselves, with their own words, become fishers of men. One of the things, and there are of course many for me, and I'm certain many for you, one of the things I personally love about Jesus is he's kind of this all or nothing guy. Right? The scriptures speak of him and present him not as being just a light, but the light. He is not a word of God, but he is the word of God. He's not a Messiah, he is the Messiah and Savior, and there is no other that is so apparent. This is apparent when he says it, it's apparent with his actions, and it is apparent in what he would have his followers proclaim, and indeed what we see in the rest of the New Testament, how they did proclaim him as the true light of the world, the light that makes wise the hearts of men unto salvation. That is Jesus Christ, and it is his church. It is his disciples, it is his followers, it is you. And I pray that this epiphany in this new year, the light of his truth may shine in your hearts and minds, that it may illuminate all that you say, think, and do, the way that you as Christians live, and that you might yourselves be beacons of that light, reflectors of it to this dark world around us, and thereby, with Peter, James, John, and Andrew, draw people to Jesus and be fishers of men. Amen.